between 13, 2013 and 2016, I kind of focused more on my, my professional craft, right? So just getting better at my, my day-to-day job. And I kind of, I left crypto alone, to be honest, for a couple of years. Um, and what brought me back was one of my co-founders, Phil Vidala. Um, he, he goes, hey, there's this thing called Ethereum. You should check it out. And so that was in 2015. I can't remember the month now, but that blew me away. I was like, hang on a second. So we can write a smart contract and effectively have a program running anywhere in the world. And it's not sitting on a Windows server or a Linux server. Like it just blew me away. That is Jim Bess. And this is episode 24 of the Blockchain Pro podcast. platform to share the stories of the people working to build a decentralized world. Um, Web 3.0 is the future. I'm super psyched. Today's guest is Tim Bess. Tim is the co-founder and CEO of Block8, a Sydney-based blockchain business venture studio. He started his career in computer services, working his way up to enterprise software sales until he discovered Bitcoin and saw himself going down the rabbit hole, like so many of us. And yes, we had a chat a few weeks ago. I had to edit a little bit around the 10 minutes mark because my phone went off on its own and interrupted us. But don't worry, because we did back up a little bit, so you won't miss anything. But let's get right into it and get to know Tim. Hi, Tim. Hi, Adriana. How are you doing? Very well. I'm surviving post, well, not necessarily post-COVID world at the moment at home. Post-strict social distancing rules world. Yeah, not fun. Anyway, thanks for being here today. Let's go back in time uh, to how you started your career, your professional life. Well, um, so I'm 36 now, so I've been working for about 20 years. My first IT job was a computer shop um, in Western Sydney when I was, I think, 16 or something, and I was building computers. So I was uh, absolutely in love with computers from day one, to be honest. Um, So yeah, old enough to remember the world before the internet, but uh, young enough to actually know how to use it. Um, So uh, yeah, always (laughs) always use computers, love them completely. And it kind of set me on a path. So um, I've, I guess I started in a computer shop and then I naturally went into consulting. So um, I went sort of uh, into the systems engineering IT um, industry. So for about how long? Probably 12 years I worked for, you know, different IT service providers. Um, so I was never in internal IT. I always had sort of multiple customers. I was always sort of billing people. 
um, building projects. Um, and the way that kind of goes, it's, it's quite um, a kind of standard formula. So you start off on the help desk, you kind of earn your stripes, um, fixing sort of, you know, business as usual problems. Uh, and then over time you build that experience. So in, in my kind of part of the world, I was very much focused on the Microsoft skill set. So, you know, you become an MCSE, which is a Microsoft certified systems engineer, you do all of these exams. Um, and you kind of move up in the world, right? So in the end, I uh, worked for um, a couple of fantastic companies, actually. Um, I worked for one company uh, by the name of Inspire IT um, from about 2007 to 2013, uh, which was acquired by a company called Rico, which is a big photocopier company. Um, and so at the time, that company was divesting a little bit out of print, which is their core business. And they were looking at more sort of technology um, so the rest of office technology like IT and stuff like that. So by that stage, I was a senior consultant. Um, I was sort of uh, an expert in sort of Microsoft technology, but also VMware um, and Citrix. So very enterprise stuff. Um, and, you know, that naturally took me into pre-sales. So, um, you know, I... I I tried my best to stay as close to the technology as possible, but uh, as soon as I discovered Bitcoin in 2013, um, you know, the penny dropped. Uh, so I don't have to convince you how good Bitcoin is. Um, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah, so it's funny um, because as I moved towards um, sort of doing more consult, like more pre-sales consulting, so in other words, supporting salespeople and kind of focusing on sort of the proposals and high level solutions, I kind of naturally moved away from being on the tools um, so I kind of missed that. So when um, Bitcoin, or when I heard of Bitcoin in 2013, um, it was funny. I um, kind of saw an opportunity to start doing uh, mining. Now at the time, even in 2013, it was pretty much impossible to mine Bitcoin. So I uh, started mining altcoins like Litecoin and, and stuff like that. Um, so I went out and my uh, then girlfriend, now wife at the time, was really very upset about this, but I took $10,000 out of my savings and I bought 10 AMD 280X video cards. I bought three motherboards, a bunch of graphics card risers, and I built three mining rigs. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so I went all in. Um, and so I had a spare room at my uh, my mum's place that I'd kind of fitted out to be this mining um, this mining room. So I had scripts running and it would crash all the time and I'd have to get it restarted. It was just pretty embarrassing. And which altcoins were you mining? I was mining um, Litecoin and Dogecoin. Oh, Dogecoin. <laughs> yeah. So my strategy was, well, you know, those script coins you can get, um, you know, the mining calls were quite small back then. Um, so I, I just picked a couple of what I thought were winners and then my strategy was to move them into Bitcoin as often as I could. And back then, you know, Bitcoin was like $700. So um, it was pretty crazy. I wish I held on to it. <laughs> so, yeah, so that scratched the itch for a bit. Um, and I continued to work in the IT profession uh, until 2016. Um, so by that stage, um, a number of the IT companies I'd worked for were acquired. So I was an employee in those companies. And I kind of went through a number of these kind of consolidations of multiple teams. And I started to kind of get uh, sick of that. So... Um, by the end of, I think, the third acquisition, I said to myself, I think I can do it better and I want to create my own company um, and I want to sort of take the lessons that I've, I've learned in my career, both positive and negative, and, and start something that you know, I can 
you know, built from the ground up. So yeah, there was a bit of anarchist in there. I kind of felt like, um, you know, I'm spending a lot of time and energy uh, working for the man and I reckon I can do better. So I've, I've learned three and a half years later with a lot of gray hair, that's actually not that easy. I was going to ask that, how did thinking that you had lots of experience and you were ready to have, you know, your own company compared to the actual implementation and creation of a new business and hiring people. And mm. how, how was the dream compared to the reality? You know what? Um, the honeymoon period lasted for about a year. Um, so this is just before the crypto boom, right? So this is, you know, late 2016, um, and I think we even started a bit earlier than that. We incorporated, I think, in September 20, 2016. But, you know, the key was that I actually had a couple of, of there's actually, I'm one of four founders, right? So we, I had a couple of great people that I'd had success with in the past. So we founded the business together. So I think, um, you know, that, that actually got us a long way. So, you know, the downside to having four founders is there's four founders and, you know, you don't get everything done, um, you know, you're not, you're not the only guy in the room, but the mm -hmm. upside is huge um, when you can rely on different people's skills. So just learning basic, you know, business skills, you know, how to, you know, invoice. I mean, I knew that much, but, you know, like for instance, PAYG and all the sort of accounting things you have to start thinking about, that became real pretty quickly. So I was super lucky to have um, some really good partners that I could kind of rely on. And um, at the time we all tipped in a bit of money each, which, you know, when you added it up together was a bit more than I could, possibly handle. So I am confident that if I did it alone, I would have failed for sure. Um, because I would have been probably too bullish and I wouldn't have um, sort of seen my blind spots at the time. But yeah, so I, I think um, the, the destination um, always looks, you know, not necessarily easy, but it, it looks, um, you know, it's a very romantic idea creating your own company and uh, going all in. But uh, depending on your risk profile, like are you going to put your house on the line? Are you going to put all of your cash in this thing? So I guess with four founders, we were able to de-risk that a bit, right? So we kind of told ourselves that we would keep the business small enough that we could always step in and, and save it if something happened. So we didn't want to grow too quick. Um, but yeah, um, and three and a half years later, we've got 50 people. So it's been a crazy journey. Tell us a little bit about the company then. What did you yes. build? Yes, so I'm the CEO. Um, and like I said, there are four founders. Um, so we've taken a couple of different, I guess, pivots in the journey. In the beginning, we sort of set up to be a blockchain incubator. So we wanted to kind of work with early stage founders and we you know, truly believe in crypto and the, and the DLT in general. So we felt like if we found a subject matter expert and somebody who really had a passion for the thing they're solving, then, you know, for us, we're, you know, commercial guys, we're technologists, we've, you know, delivered big projects before we felt that we could bring a lot to the conversation and together we could joint venture and build, you know, a company from scratch, either a crypto company or just a traditional equity based company. And, and we would take um, sort of co we'd co-invest effectively with that customer. And if we win, we both win. If we lose, well, we both lose. Yeah. So that was the first version of our, um, our business. So we, um, we kept our team really small, we only had a few contractors. Uh, we were all working full-time jobs somewhere and we kind of part-timed it for a long time. So, so that first version um, was really fun, really, really awesome. But like anything, as you grow and you, you make mistakes and you learn, you, there's a new level of sophistication required and that's usually when the grind starts. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, so I mean, that was the first um, kind of iteration of our business. Yep. Um, so in that stage, we had two uh, early customers that we started working with, uh, one uh, by the name of Australian Mortgages, uh, Australian Mortgage technically, um, and they're a, uh, a neobank. Um, so they um, have a, a bunch of experience in that industry, but essentially our goal was to use a, a DLT um, to um, effectively like securitize uh, investment funds and create mortgages. Um, so effectively, you know, bringing mortgages to bear to the market without a lot of the friction that currently exists. So they can now currently, as of today, write a mortgage in 15 minutes, for instance. So it's super interesting. Um, so that was one sort of traditional use case. And the other one was Haven. So Haven uh, was a stablecoin project that we, we started working on at the uh, end of 2016. Uh, it ended up being the largest ITO in Australia. Uh, it's now pivoted to synthetics. So at that stage, you know, we're talking really early days before you know, it got crazy out there. But um, yeah, we did some really cool things with them as well. So I guess beyond that stage, then we started to kind of move away from being an incubator to being a, an officially like a venture studio. So our goal was to take less projects, um, but a sort of slightly more mature project. So rather than the really early sort of pitch deck projects, we're looking for customers that maybe have some, have raised some capital already. Maybe they've already got sort of a valuation and we're kind of taking them from zero to one, if that makes sense. Uh, and that's been our core business for a long time. So we've had a lot of really good projects in that space and I can talk, I guess, some more about them as well. Um, and then more recently, we've, we've completed our Series A. So we did that uh, in December last year. Um, so the goal of that was to obviously scale the team, um, but also to do, I guess, uh, more of our own ventures. So we're building products and, and ventures for ourselves now at Blockgate, um, but also scaling into enterprise. So we're doing, you know, now that we've got this experience and I guess this, you know, the systems and processes to support it, we're doing a lot more with our sort of enterprise partners and solving I guess, larger problems. Um, so for instance, you know, rather than dealing with um, a, a smaller startup, we might be looking to sort of, you know, work with say Woolworths or something to kind of optimize their value chain using DLT, right? So very much a, a, a big end of town play, um, mm -hmm. but I guess that kind of sets us apart. Like we have still that kind of crypto anarchist love in our DNA, but mm -hmm. uh, we're also, you know, seasoned professionals and um, we know what it takes to get, you know, a business case written and how to get things funded and how to have the appropriate governance and controls to build a thing. Um, so yeah, we're, um, we're loving it at the moment. So between, um, 2013 and mining your Litecoins, mm -hmm. going through this journey of creating your own business, launching ICOs and now pivoting to enterprise, what, what have you seen as the evolution of the blockchain ecosystem? Mm, good question. It's funny. Um, when I first discovered Bitcoin, like I knew it was going to be massive. So at the time, I, I was really excited about cloud. So for me, that was just another level of, you know, sophistication over a data center full of kit. And a data center full of kit was, you know, another level above a computer in a, in a server room, right? So when I saw Bitcoin, I just thought, wow, this is going to be incredible. But I, what I didn't see at the time was the, the scripting language, the, you know, being able to program on, above it. And um, I, just, I just didn't see it at the time. So I, I, saw, I saw it as a sort of a way of um, you know, cross-border payments and all the great things we love Bitcoin for. But 
honestly, it was more of a speculative asset for me at the time. I was just, um, you know, mining it, like I said. So I, um, I, when I can sort of between 13, 2013 and 2016, I kind of focused more on my, my professional craft, right? So just getting better at my, my day-to-day job. And I kind of, I left crypto alone, to be honest, for a couple of years. Um, and what brought me back was one of my co-founders, Phil Vidala. Um, he, he goes, hey, there's this thing called Ethereum. You should check it out. And so that was in 2015. I can't remember the month now, but that blew me away. I was like, hang on a second. So we can write a smart contract and effectively have a program running anywhere in the world. And it's not sitting on a Windows server or a Linux server. Like it just blew me away. So yeah, I, um, that, that got me back into it. So then I was really digging into like, how do we do something with this? Ethereum is, you know, I hate to say it, a game changer. Um, because I hear it all the time, um, but it is, and it was. Um, so yeah, so we, you know, did the classic kind of whiteboarding for pages every weekend. We're on the whiteboard trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, so I guess for me, Ethereum was the thing. Um, you know, I've I've been, you know, so close to this now for almost four years since Ethereum came out, roughly. Um, and for me, it hasn't improved enough for my liking. I think that it's, it's really good around the edges, like the tooling's improved and, and there's a lot of developers who can build amazing things on top of it, but it hasn't quite taken that step yet. And I had a theory for a while that, um, you know, Bitcoin's massive innovation was, you know, double spend problem or, you know, um, you know cross-border payments. And people kind of cite a number of the key benefits of, a block of Bitcoin, but let's call it, you know, the double spend problem. And let's say Ethereum's, um, you know, key innovation was smart contracts, right? Mm-hmm. How, how realistic is it to expect somebody to do a once-in-a-generation innovation? And the answer is pretty low, actually. So is it, is it realistic for Satoshi Nakamoto to appear t- today and do, do smart contracts or sharding or something? Probably low, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I kind of had this this kind of theory in my head that maybe Ethereum has done its done its best, and that someone else is going to take what Bitcoin's done and what Ethereum's done and create the next thing, and then that'll be their innovation, their once in a generation thing they're known for. You know, their you know iPhone moment. So, and the reason why I say that is because a lot of these blockchains are so big now, and there's so much I guess invested interest that it's it's sometimes impossible to make. It's in fact impossible to make everybody happy. And they haven't baked in the governance controls to kind of upgrade these systems. Um, so I think that's been a, a real issue. But I mean, hopefully Ethereum can solve that. And they, they're making a bunch of to- a bunch of progress on Ethereum 2.0. And some great teams in Australia, um, like the Sigma Prime Boys and FlexDaps have been doing work on that. So um, yeah, so I, I, I have seen it move a lot. I think the, most of the public understand what it is now. It's not kind of like a grimy, dirty secret that crypto used to be it, there's a level of sophistication with it um but yeah I, I have been a bit frustrated with the development speed of it i think it's going to take a little bit longer to see it where it needs to be i mean most of the applications we're building just through complete necessity and the ability like for, for us to commercialize a product right for us to get it to the market you've got to make some pretty big sacrifices on how much blockchain is in it to be honest mm-hmm. and, and how much and how much you know, so are you going to sacrifice UX or you're going to sacrifice, you know, speed or whatever the case may be. So, you know, it's, it's really common for us to build um, most of our applications on traditional web 2.0 technology in a contemporary way. Of course, like it's all, you know, GCP and AWS stuff. 
but the blockchain serves a specific need inside of its application, right? So my vision is to see, you know, completely fully featured applications running on blockchains in the future. Um, and so because that's kind of my goal and my hope, you know, incremental, you know, taking a blockchain from 10 TPS to 20 TPS doesn't really get me excited. So I find it a bit frustrating. Yeah, that's, that's my vision too. But I think if we're doing a podcast in May 2030, oh, yeah. we, might, we might be halfway there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And look, to be honest, the difference between now and 2013 is incredible. I have this number burnt into my head. I know it's a dollar number and it, it's not necessarily a technology number, but I think Bitcoin's market cap was $6 billion in 2013 and i looked at it today it's 184 billion in a semi-bear market so you know that's a lot of people who have bought some bitcoin <laughs> so the world the world's taken notice well that's a lot of governments not doing the right thing yeah that's also true <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um so you probably hire a lot of people uh, in your capacity of you know getting these projects off the ground and um, delivering to your customers, um, what is the what is the best like profile that someone needs to work in this space? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, in the early days, we were looking for computer science and economics guys. Um, you know, really smart people. I mean, you need smart people regardless. Um, and we still need that type of person. But as our business has become um, a little bit more mature and a little bit more sophisticated, we've started, um, you know, we've now got, you know, um, you know, product owners and agile delivery managers and um, data scientists and, you know, engineering from a, from a development perspective, but also from a, um, like a blockchain, sorry, what am I trying to say here? Like engineering from a sort of infrastructure perspective and engineering from a development perspective, testing mm -hmm. engineers. So, so they're all different profiles. I think what's common across a lot of them is most of them have, you know, a computer science degree, um, but that doesn't necessarily um, rule anybody out. So I actually didn't go to university. So I'm rather proud of that in hindsight. So I took the much harder route, um, the School of Hard Knocks, Yep. Um, but that's given me a, a massive appreciation for the sorts of skills you actually need. So I used to joke, um, probably still do that. Oh, I'm not sure if I'd get a job at my own company anymore because of how sophisticated some of our people have become. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, I don't think you need a computer science degree to be passionate about blockchain technology and, and, and help customers commercialize it. So there's different types of roles for different people in our business. Um, but I guess our reputation is that we're very, um, kind of we do things at a high level and we're super focused on commercial outcomes. So in other words, we, we don't want to build a science project that goes nowhere. We want to build something that, you know, you can point at and say that works and it solves a problem for somebody and its customers. So a lot of our, our people, um, you know, buy into that purpose and, and kind of uh, see themselves in that, in our values. Um, so in terms of technical skill, um, just going back to that for a second, I would say that uh, we, we look for people with relatively high abstract reasoning. So people who can think outside of the box um, because a lot of these solutions often haven't even been built before. Like we're building these things from the ground up, um, which is cool. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, a strong computing background helps. 
Um, but then I think, you know, it, it depends on the role. So one of the things we're, we're actually spending a lot of time on for FY21 is um, with our development plans is, is, I guess, supporting people down um, either a technical path or a sort of people leadership path because I've seen this my entire career. What happens is um, really strong technical people get over-promoted to a management position uh, and they usually end up like living in that position where they're slightly out of their comfort zone, but they're not actually the best at that type of thing, right? So just because you're a, you're a technical wizard doesn't mean you'll be a technical, sorry, you'll be a, a people leader that people can get behind and, and kind of follow, right? So you have to um, nurture that as well, right? Totally, right? So, so what I'm trying to say is a technical person will get to the top of their pay grade and then they have to become a manager to get paid more. That's what happens with the best technical people. So in our business, we're looking to kind of, um, grow people so they can be effective leaders and bring a whole bunch of technical people on that journey and to rally those guys um, without kind of pigeonholing them into a position just because they need that money. So I guess what I'm trying to say is respecting the person's natural skills and supporting them all the way through to kind of potentially being a CEO of their own company one day. You know, we think that, you know, people at product owners in particular are, are fantastic candidates for for being future CEOs because they are so commercially minded. They think about the vision of the product. They're thinking about the impact to the customers. Like these are all facets you don't necessarily learn in a textbook um, and you want to nurture that stuff. So, yeah. Very true. Um, do you have a favorite thing about the blockchain ecosystem, especially in Australia? Um, in Australia, it's, it's probably the only community I've ever been a part of um, where people go out of their way um, to help each other. And what I mean by that is even the very early days, I mean, Blockade was formed through a group of people um, that met at the Sydney Ethereum meetup in, geez, 2016 or something, early 2016, maybe late 2015. Um, and so even then people, you know, everyone in that room has a full-time job. People were taking time out of their weekends to train people. I mean, you're one of the best advocates in this space. I mean, the, the work that you do, um, you know, no one's, no one's forcing you to do it. So, you know, and that supports the community and people, you know, like Nick Addison and, and Bucky Puba, people like this that have really invested in people and, and training them up. I think it's awesome. So I've not seen that level of, I guess, um, community in, in technology generally. I think most technology industries are very much about IP and who owns it and, you know, all the secrets that come with that. Whereas I guess I found in Australia, particularly the blockchain ecosystem is very open. People are very much for open source. They're looking to give people, you know, a, a leg up into a job or, you know, just to, so, so in general, I've just been super impressed by that. Um, and I think that's what sets particularly blockchain apart from anything I've been a part of. But um, I think Australia um, globally has a very um, well-meaning, productive and positive community. So I definitely think we've got one of the best communities in the world. I agree. And I think we have the ability, the capacity and the um, will to like really be leaders in this space worldwide. Oh, for sure. And, you know, it makes sense, right? We're a highly educated country. We've got good government. Um, you know, we're a wealthy, a wealthy country. And, um, you know, we, we still have a say. 
Um, you know, and the government's doing a lot of good things now, Treasury, you know, national roadmap, blockchain roadmap, I mean. Um, you know, this is all starting to happen. So I think that um, we're in, the, in a really good place. Like, for instance, I don't see Australia as sort of being bogged down in, you know, the legacy systems as much as some other countries. So that kind of gives us a unique position to move and innovate quickly. So, yeah, I'm optimistic. Me too. So do you have any advice for people that they, they well, the two categories of um, listeners out there. There's the people who um, are completely new to the workforce. They're just, you know, in finishing uni or they're finishing high school and they love computers, but they don't want to go to uni. Mm. There's also the people like yourself who sort of like had a whole career before working in this space is there anything that converge that is good advice for both <laughs> yeah i think regardless of those two examples uh something stuck with me um for like many years now they say that you are the average of the five closest people you hang around with so if you hang around with five or four or five um bigger the better <laughs> If you hang around, you know, with five um, strategic thinkers that are going somewhere and they're really testing and testing themselves and they're lifelong learners, then you'll become one as well. If you hang, hang out with five people that aren't necessarily going in the right direction and they don't share your passions and maybe they're not particularly ambitious, then you'll naturally go with them. So the thing that I've really been um, really appreciative of the Australian community, blockchain community, is that. Um, there's always something to go to. So if you have a, um, I guess, a thirst for knowledge, there's someone out there that you can meet with and you can, you can learn and share ideas. So, you know, at the time when, for me, I'd kind of hit the top of the tree in, 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 in IT, right? So I was doing pretty well for myself, but it was a very, um, how do I put this? Like I'd seen it all before, right? Like I, I knew the answer. I felt like I knew the answer to the customer's question before they'd even finished. Right, so I put the square peg in the square hole because um, they're a very productized industry now. Um, but you know, uh, the only way I would have learned anything about blockchain was to go out and, and test myself and to go into these new rooms and meet these new people and, and learn more. So, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that you have to broaden your horizons, regardless of the fact you're in uni, the fact that you're in TAFE, the fact that you're working a full time job. You have to put in extra work outside of those hours to go and learn new things. Um, and, and preferably in person, to be honest, those relationships will open doors for you as well. So you, you, my recommendation to anybody is to broaden your horizons, find a, a second group of people, maybe not your core group of people, but a second group of people that are passionate about the thing that you, you're into now and, and spend time with them and, um, and educate yourself that way. Um, and what you'll probably find is after a while is you actually may not want to be a developer anymore. You might want to be, you know, the, the founder of a company and you might find someone in that ecosystem that's actually a better um, developer than, than you are. And that's what happens to, to Block 8, right? We've all kind of naturally moved away from being technical into other parts of the business. So, yeah, that, that's the thing I would definitely uh, leave with people is you're, you're the average of the five best people you hang around with. That is great advice. I'm going to follow that too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, thanks, Tim, so much for chatting to no me worries. today and you know, sharing your knowledge with the people out there. 
um, I will speak to you again soon. Thank you, mate. See ya. And that was the super awesome Tim Bass. If you have questions or comments for Tim or simply just want to say hi, uh, reach out to him on Twitter at tbass underscore block eight, T-B-A-S-S underscore B-L-O-C-K eight. I will link his Twitter and LinkedIn profiles in the show's description for you. Also, send me a note if you have any questions or comments, suggestions for future guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends. Every like, share, review, anything you do online to help get the word out there helps with getting more people involved in building the decentralized future. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you at the next block.